everybody to the main event. Today we have a very special guest, one of the most fun people you're going to listen to all, all week, all month maybe. Amy Mullins had her legs amputated at the age of two and spent a lot of time, most of her early years, in a children's hospital. She learned to walk with prosthetic legs in the late 1970s when prosthetic legs were not what they are today. And this is important. She attended Georgetown on an academic scholarship. So she studied. She became the first female amputee in history to walk on to the track and field team at Georgetown and compete in Division I. She set three world records in track and field and then set her sights on becoming a fashion model. Why not? So she did that. She became the face of L'Oreal in 2011. She started movies and TV shows. And now her TED Talks series, she's an all-star with TED Talks. And her show, My 12 Legs, has been viewed almost 5 million times. So Amy Mullins, it's so great to have you here. Thank you for being a part of the main event today. Thank you, Jim. And thanks for having me, guys, out there in the hospitals. <laughs> well, your parents had to make a difficult decision to have your legs amp amputated before you were two. And at the time, the doctors told them you'd never walk or lead a normal life. With all of the things that you have accomplished, you ever allow yourself to reflect on that diagnosis now? Yeah, of course. I I think it's funny. You know, it's, it's funny. The, the, the truth is <clears throat> there's a lot that people don't know. And because there is some, uh, you know, a need in, in us, especially for our parents to try and know more as much as they can about what's going to happen to you, what your prognosis is. Um, you know, they, I think a lot of times doctors with very good intentions will try and give a very low expectation. Um, because I think the, the traditional thinking is it's easier to be surprised by something good than to be disappointed by something bad. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I think it was an incredible lesson. I know for the doctor who gave the prognosis that I would never walk or have independent mobility. I spoke to him on the phone just a few years ago. And we talked about that a lot, but it really changed his life to watch me grow up and not care at all about the prognosis, you know, the idea of, and also to not care at all what normal, what a normal life looks like. Why, you know, we, I think people spend too much time trying to be like everyone else. It's just such a more fun way to go through life if you can accept who you are and, and have fun with who you are and not not worry about being normal because no one is. That's the big secret. There isn't anyone who is who is normal. So um, yeah, when I reflect on that prognosis, I just think, well, at least 
I knew they were wrong then. And for what it's worth, the, the doctor who gave that prognosis knows that he was wrong too. And, um, and he became a better, I think a better doctor for it. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great way to look at it. And you're absolutely right. I think things, you know, 30 or 40 years ago uh, were just that, you know, that they didn't want to set expectations too high. But, you know, from the outset, you were playing kickball with your brothers and you got a paper route and you were, you were just doing everything that, you know, every other kid in the neighborhood was doing. And I'm just curious, when, when did you realize that there was as much medicine coming out of this as there was from, you know, the, the medicines that you were receiving or the physical therapy you were going through? Very early, I realized that. Probably not in the way that an adult would to think that, oh, I, you know, the, our thoughts are very powerful, but instinctively, I knew that because I knew that these, the prognoses throughout my childhood of how long it's gonna take you to learn how to walk on this new pair of legs, or you're not gonna be able to run on them for a while. I just, I knew in my gut what I could do. And, and I trusted that, which I'm very grateful for because it's not easy when you have a lot of grownups telling you one thing and your little self is thinking another thing. And I guess I was lucky in that it was pretty willful, you know, had a lot of willpower and that's one still, way to put it yeah one way to put it right um i'm sure there are others <laughs> um but it, it definitely served me well when it came to realizing that your thoughts become things and the more the more i practiced daydreaming which i did a lot of in the hospital i and you're sitting there with two full plaster casts on your legs and you can't, you know, really go anywhere. Your mind takes you places. And the more you practice it, the more you really get good at it. And you realize that hospital bed can become a spaceship to take you anywhere you want to go. It can be a horse and, you know, and you're going to go on a jousting tournament. It can be a broomstick and you're going to play Quidditch. You know, it, there are so many escapes from, I guess, reality, you know, maybe that's a way to say it, but you know, some, some of the more unpleasant realities. And I realized at a very young age that I could actually improve my mood by daydreaming. So that even though I, when I came back, oh, I'm still stuck in this bed. I'm still stuck in these plaster casts. I still have all the itches that I can't quite get with that wire hanger, trying to shove it down and get that, get, you know, scratch that itch. But I felt better. I felt so much better and felt um, powerful, felt excited, felt like I had just been to that Quidditch game or jousting tournament or visited that, you know, galaxy. Um, it's, it's, I think the best tool that you can work on, it'll 
serve you the rest of your life and keep it in your toolbox is your imagination. Well, that's, that's so true. And now they have things like virtual reality that you can, you know, back in the day when you were in the hospital, you didn't really have those tools. So you relied on this. And that's where it became so powerful that it has impacted the rest of your life. Now you talk about your hospital experience. You spent a lot of time at DuPont Children's Hospital and they're gonna get this video, which is kind of a cool thing. It's coming full circle. But I want you to, to go back in your mind now to tell me a little bit about uh, some of the physical therapy and how much maybe you didn't always look forward to it. And tell me about the influence of your Dr. P. All right, Dr. P. Dr. Pizzatello, which isn't a difficult name to pronounce now, but apparently people thought it was back then. So everyone called him Dr. P. And his signature move was he always wore a bow tie, a really fun patterned bow tie. And he had dark hair and glasses. And I just remember him in his, his white doctor's coat with his bow tie. Very kind man. And he knew that I really hated these physical therapy sessions. You know, you have, I remember you get a printout of like little stick figures and you'd have to do 200 sit-ups and you had to do all these kinds of things that thankfully, yes, I have good core strength today. Thanks to every, all that physical therapy that started me off on a, on a good, on a good track. But there was one particular aspect of physical therapy where the physical therapist who was a very, well, granted I was five, but in my head, he's a huge guy. <laughs> and I had to lay on the floor with my um, legs in the air with my knees bent. And he would slowly lean against the bottom of my feet, pressing in and, and put all of his weight. And I had to basically bench press him with my legs, which I remember wanting to like squirming to try try and get out of this. I, I it was hard, really hard. And um, the, <laughs> the reward after completing that session was that you got to do the Farrah bands, which I hated even more. And so there would be different, you know, the, I'm sure everyone watching this in the hospital knows what these Farrah bands are. If you don't, you will. Um, and the funny thing is I now travel with a pack of them. I, I now choose to use these things, but basically it's like a large rubber band that you might put around your thighs or you might put around your lower legs, you might put around your arms and they're resistance. And you said you have to do these exercises. Well, that little cheat, the stick figure, you have to lay on your side and raise your knee with this band a hundred times. And then the other side a hundred times. And then this way it's exhausting. And I, at some point, my willpower really took a big dip. And it was Dr. P who said, you know, you're a very strong little girl. I think you can probably break that band. I'll give you, and he showed me a hundred dollar bill. I'll give you a hundred dollars. You can break it. And I'm not saying that money is the motivation to do, to do everything. It certainly isn't, but he, he basically gave me a challenge. And uh, it, it was the thing that helped turn around 
what was something I wanted to avoid into something that I wanted to go after and, and succeed at. I was a patient at the original DuPont Children's Hospital, but then they built a new one and I was one of the first oh, people cool. in that. When I was, I was eight and I was going in for surgery and it, they were doing laser surgery, which was like, whoa, wow. really, you know, high, like the cutting, you know, cutting edge at the time, pardon the pun. But the hospital was just brightly colored. You know, it was like, for me, who loved the art room, it was just a dream to, to be surrounded by all this bright color. It was, it, was, it was the dawn of a new thinking about, you know, and maybe we should make these places where, where children are, are re- recuperating, recovering, healing, you know, um, battling whatever it is they're battling, make them have some levity, bring, bring some color and light and um, fun. They didn't have pet therapy when I was a kid. Whoa, I was, when you just said that, I thought, oh, I'd be a goner. I, I, don't, I would so want to adopt all of, the, all of the pets, but these are really important um, therapies, really important therapies. And the people who do it, like you said, the, the, the child life staff, it's, um, they're answering an extraordinary calling. And, no, and just know if you're, if you're watching this, anyone there who's on the, you know, staff, these, these seemingly small acts of kindness, they never leave the person. Isn't that, it's a wonderful, wonderful memory. And it's a wonderful reinforcement of what they do every day. You bring, you bring such, uh, you know, joy to life. Okay. So when I, when I talked to Pat LaFontaine, okay, so Pat LaFontaine founded this foundation, Companions of Courage. He featured your story in one of his early books. And he told the story about how you had an, an encounter with a Purple Heart recipient. And, and, and the Purple Heart recipient was a gentleman named Phil Hebert, I believe. And he did something very poignant that affected you. What do you remember what, what Phil did when you met him? He he was a he was a veteran, and I believe he pinned his purple heart on you. Yes, yes, he did. It was I was rollerblading to, to, to date it. I was 19 <laughs> years old. I was down on the National Mall, Washington, DC. I was I was a college student in Washington, DC, and I think it was Veterans Day. So there was a lot of tourists in town for Washington um, where they basically were gathering on the mall and sort of celebrating. And I was down there rollerblading around and this man, Phil Kiki, he came up to me and he told me about his experience as a veteran and what had happened to him. And he had, he had suffered a lot of um, head trauma and they gave him, you know, the Purple Heart is the medal that we give our, our soldiers, our, our brave men and women who are, you know, doing their, their duty when they have, is they survive what could have been a, a, a life-threatening attack. Um, and, you know, for valor, it's, it's, it's for courage. Yeah. And he, he, he I remember he, 
he just started to put this pin on me and I said, wait, wait, what are you doing? He said, no. And, and he, remember he, he put it in my hand then and he closed my hand around it and he said, I want you to have this. And I remember feeling very emotional. I mean, it still makes me feel that way right now because I tried to explain to him, I said, I'm not brave. I didn't choose this. I'm just living my life. You chose to go and enlist and to become a soldier and you chose to put yourself in harm's way and he had a different feeling about it he he didn't see the same difference that i did in our experience he felt like courage is courage and how you approach your life and how much joy you can find in it every day and, and see it as your, as your privilege to share that joy with other people, to bring, hopefully bring joy into their lives. But that's a courageous act. Um, anyway, I have it. I have it in my jewelry box. Oh yeah. Oh, that's what a great treasure. You know, Amy, do you ever think that maybe, just maybe, you have, you exude such a joy for life that, that maybe that was something that he read just by watching you rollerblade. You know, obviously you had your prosthetics and you had skates somehow attached to you. And, and he saw in you a spirit that he knew was powerful and that you could motivate other people who maybe weren't having the best day. And Maybe that's why he thought you exhibited that courage to be able to be out, not intimidated at all. And maybe that's what he saw in you. Maybe, I, I can't speak for him, but he, you know, I'll never, I'll never forget it. It was, a, it was a, and it's the kind of thing that sometimes, you know, I, it's, it's a talisman for me. That's a, that's a word that, you know, good Scrabble word too. It's a good one. It's a good word, but you know, um, a talisman is an object that that we can refer to and we can touch when we need to be reminded of something, and when maybe we need to summon a quality if we're having a really hard time and we sort of forget how to be courageous or how to be joyful or grateful or to be hopeful, right, in the face of fear. And that's one of the talismans for me. That's great. Do you, do you ever take a step back and, and reflect on your life and think about how different it might have been if you were born with your fibulas? I used to think about that a lot when I was a kid. And definitely a teenager. I'm sure my life in those in that in those periods of my life would have been much easier had I not been running around with wooden legs or you know then eventually some carbon fiber. But that the the the, the truth is, rather than be normal or ordinary. My life has been extraordinary. It's been anything but ordinary. 
And it's not in spite of having the experience of being an amputee and wearing prosthetic legs. It's because of it. I get to choose my height. So I was able to walk runways with supermodels. I would have not been able to do that. I was able to, again, run, run for my country, uh, compete for the United States. Um, those, those kinds of things that I, I feel like the experience, I couldn't, I couldn't, today, I can't imagine what my life would be like. I think it wouldn't have been as exciting. Uh, I know that not every day is, is rosy. Not every day is, hey, I'm going to go be in a movie today. Hey, I'm going to go, you know, be the face of L'Oreal. That stuff doesn't just happen, you know, and there's got to be days and moments when you feel a little low. And I know that there are kids that are in the hospital today who are feeling a little low, especially with everything that's demanded of them and COVID and, you know, they're feeling sorry for themselves. When you had those days when you were young or maybe still now, what, what do you pull out? Maybe it's the talisman. Maybe it's, you know, you, you go into your jewelry box and you see that purple heart and it bolsters you for the day. But that can't be every day. What do you do to motivate yourself on days when you don't feel 100%? That's a great question, Jim. And it's something that a lot of people don't talk about because I think it's a lot easier to talk about positivity and optimism, which are very, very important. But <laughs> we're human beings. We are in my head, it's like, like a big gemstone, like a faceted diamond. Pick your color, emerald, ruby. But there- well, you're, you're Irish, you have to pick the emerald. Emerald, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, there are parts of that stone where the, the sun, the light's not hitting it that day. And for me, the, the, the number one way that I deal with it is to be okay with that. I don't uh, bully myself into you should just be feeling good all the time and positive all the time. I allow for them. I allow, I, I listen, I listen to, okay, why am I feeling this way? The best way to get out of a funk is to do random acts of kindness for people, whether you know them or not. Usually I do it for people I don't know because then there's zero expectation that they're going to even say thank you. You know, it, it just, it just surprise acts of kindness. Just even also, it can be something as simple as really making eye contact with the, with the people that you are, are seeing, the person who's bringing your lunch or the person who's, um, I don't even know if they still use bedpans and thinking about the hospital, but the person who's taking that away, the, the person who's coming to do the, the, what I, my thing I hated the most was, you know, needles, really hate that. Still really hate that. But really looking in the eye and thanking them for being kind, thanking them for doing their job well, 
thanking them for showing up to work today. It's that helps to really shift some dark energy and get it, get it flown again, get it, get it. It's on its way. So that, that would be how I, I do it, but don't punish yourself for having bad days, you know, negative thoughts or feeling sometimes like, you know, you're just not superhuman. You're a human being and that's great. Give yourself a break. It's really okay to feel these things. You're a human being. Well, you're one of the most uh, unusual and extraordinary human beings that we've had come into our lives, Amy. And your random act of kindness today is going to be felt by pediatric patients across North America and hopefully beyond. And I can't thank you on, on behalf of them for sharing your story with them because you will motivate them. You're going to motivate them to get out of bed. You're going to motivate them to go and experience life. And, and that is a gift that is, is very special. So on behalf of all of the kids, our, our you know, motto is uh, no child in the fight for life or health should ever have to go through it alone. You made sure that nobody's going through it alone today. So thank you, Amy. Thank you, Jim. Thanks. This was wonderful.